we have dana, generosity, and sila, morality, virtue, and we have the resulting benefits of sila, that is, peacefulness of the mind. It is not in a mess, with no anxiety arising. Then we will train in mindfulness, and we can have firm samadhi concentration. The resulting benefit of samadhi is that it progresses to panya, wisdom. Wisdom comes from having wise reflection, which is yoniso manisakara, making the mind wisely reflect using the various methods, which progresses to liberation and freedom from suffering, which is the Dhamma that the venerable Sawakas, the noble disciples, could understand into clearly and thoroughly, even just listening to the Dhamma one time. It was through having developed and built their spiritual character to be complete with dana, sila, and bhavana, mental cultivation. Their samadhi was firmly established already. We hear from the suttas that they were able to know and understand, but their barami, spiritual accumulations, had to be able to get them there, which is their dana, sila, and bhavana, so the quality of wisdom is important. When we have wisdom, then we know how to give. We are not someone who is stingy. We are someone who is charitable. We have wisdom and we look after our sila. We see the dangers, the turmoil of the people who don't have sila. And so we keep sila. But the mind is still in a mess and we see the drawbacks of the chaoticness of the mind. So we train in sati, mindfulness, and in samadhi, so that we will have wisdom to understand and see clearly into the Four Noble Truths, into the teachings of the Sammasambuddha, the perfectly self-awakened Buddha, that which he taught for us to walk the path of sila, samadhi, and panya, which is a noble eightfold path, and we have samaditi, right view, which is just this quality of wisdom, that we have right view, which is imbued with benefit. Here we are sitting meditation, and this is both dana and sila, and training in mindfulness and samadhi, and progressing it to have wisdom. So wisdom is important. There is the wisdom in learning, in working and in Dhamma practice. They all require wisdom. The Buddha was born imbued with wisdom, imbued with his spiritual development and parami. He was one who was supreme, the foremost, the most developed in the world. How was the Buddha foremost? There was no human being that had been born and no dewa, divine being, or Brahma god that was as excellent as the Buddha in regards to the Barami that had been built. And he was more supreme than everyone else in the world, in learning, in skills, in work, because he had trained and developed himself a lot in the past already, so that he could be a supreme being. Can we see in this present day that those who have expertise in a certain area or thing they must have skill in that, and they have had to train until they were skilled at it. 
whether it is in learning, working, managing, or in sports, or in the Dharma practice, one can be foremost as well, having excellent effort, having more excellent mindfulness and samadhi than others. It is up to one's training and development in the building of it. And the Sama Sambuddha had built everything already, so he exclaimed that he was the most supreme, the most excellent, the most developed, the most developed in terms of the world and in terms of the Dhamma, of the mind, so that he was able to attain to becoming a Sama Sambuddha, all through his own efforts. Here, seven days after the birth of the Sama Sambuddha, the Buddha's mother passed away. We can think that someone close to him passing away, he must have had a feeling of separation, and it would be normal to feel sorrow. But when he saw it more clearly was when he saw aging, sickness and death and a renunciant, which are the four Dewaduta, the divine messengers. But seven days after he was born, there was the occasion when 108 Brahmins came and foretold that he would become a wheel-turning monarch if he was to remain a householder, or if he renounced to ordain, then he would become the Sasada, the founder of the world religion. But Kodanya, the Brahmin then, foretold that he would become the greatest Sasada of the world. So this was on the seventh day. And when the Buddha had attained enlightenment, for seven days he enjoyed Vimuti Sukha, the bliss of liberation underneath the Mahabodhi tree, the Banyan tree. This was for seven days. And the Buddha had a divine fullness. He didn't eat anything. He was full all the time. If we had some experience of this, then we would know how one could be full like that. If we had rapture coming up all day and all night, the rapture of a sawaka, a sawaka who has the smallest barami, has fullness of heart for three days and three nights, seven days and seven nights, and fullness of heart for a whole month coming from Dhamma practice, having rapture arise. There is no feeling of needing food, no need for rest. The mind is awake all the time. But one does those activities following what one has done before, eating and resting. But the mind is full. It is full from the state of rapture. This is just from understanding the Dhamma, from having seen the Dhamma, seeing all things as being anichang, dukkang, anatta, impermanent, unsatisfactory and not-self and which hadn't been seen before that, until the mind and heart overflows. Here the Buddha, the Sama Sambuddha, enjoyed the bliss of liberation, and it was so refined and deep that we couldn't compare it to a little noble disciple who had a small bit of rapture. The Buddha's was so great and massive. It's like a small star compared to a great, big universe. And this is what occurred when the Buddha enjoyed the bliss of liberation. So if we can practice and have rapture and bliss arise for three days and three nights, or for a whole month, 
and we will understand somewhat, a little bit. And after the Buddha's aggregates passed away into final Parinibbana, there was the cremation on the eighth day of the waxing moon, which was the following lunar observance day after the full moon. This was the day of offering the cremation fire at the Mukut Bandana Chetia. Lady Malika had great faith and offered the Mahalata, an exquisite adornment of great value, heavily laden with gold, jewels and gems to offer to the Sama Sambuddha. And the king of the town of Kushinara had offered the cremation fire for the Buddha. But it had to wait for the venerable elder Mahakasapa to pay his respects first to the Buddha and then the cremation fire lit by itself. And the most important matter was that each of the cities, the kings of the seven kingdoms, took their armies to come and ask for a share of the Buddha's relics, for their prosperity of their own kingdoms. They had faith and confidence in the Lord Buddha, and if they got the relics of the Buddha, there would be ease and blessings, and have rapture, happiness and peace for their land. But at that time, a war would erupt over disputing over this thing which had the most excellent value for the heart, and no one could give in to the others. And this was the reason that the Samasambuddha walked to pass away into Parinibbana at the town of Kushinara. And even though Venerable Ananda pleaded that Kushinara was a small town, so why would the Buddha not pass away into Parinibbana in the city of Sawati or the city of King Bimbisara in the Magdaha kingdom or another big city? The Buddha said not to think like that because the town of Kushinara in the past was a big city of which the Buddha himself was a great king there and the city had much prosperity. And also it was from the Buddha's wisdom that had metta, goodwill and compassion to all living beings. Because if the Buddha passed away into Parinibbana, in the kingdom of King Pasenadi or King Ajastru, which had a big army, there would be no one who would give in to the other, and it would bring about war and killing then it would mean the passing, the Parinibbana of the Buddha, would lead to many deaths. But the Buddha, by going to a small town, it would have no strength to fight against the other bigger cities, and so had to give in to them. But there was Dona Brahman, who was able to talk to all the kings. Dona Brahman was very intelligent, and was a teacher to all the kings. He said, do you remember me? At first there was a bit of hesitation, but when they heard Dona Brahman speak, then they listened to him. He said that the passing of the Samasambuddha here should be for our benefit and happiness, and that the Buddha taught the Dhamma for us to be in harmony and not to harm each other. And in the end, they could agree and could share the Buddha's relics to the different cities. And the vessel that was used to share the Buddha relics 
was kept by Dona Brahman. In the suttas it says, as was normal for Dona Brahman, who thought that the one who shared it should have a portion of it as well. So he hid the Buddha's tooth relic inside his turban. But Saka, the king of the Dewas, saw that this should be enshrined in the Tawatingsa Dewa realm, which we know as the crystal Chetia in the Tawatingsa Dewa realm. And some cities who did not come in time received the embers, of which was a lot of barami of the Buddha, which was incomparable to anything else. So this relic distribution was done in harmony and was the cause that there was no wars and killing over it. This was from the virtue of metta and compassion of the Sama Sambuddha. Even though everyone wanted prosperity and something good, harmony is what is important, not being divided over thoughts and views, not taking oneself as the focus and being bigger than others, which would lead to disputes and arguments arising. This was the intelligence of Dona Brahman, and from the Dhamma and Varami of the Sama Sambuddha. So these were the incidents that happened after the Buddha was born, enlightened, and passed away into Parinibbana. And so learning the life of the Buddha gives us fundamental principles. In our birth, we have met all sorts of states and experiences. At the age of 10 years, we have been through experiences. At the age of 20 years, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, or 70 years and older, we have passed a lot already in this world. Both of the things that have given us happiness and the things that have given us suffering. This is called somanasa and domanasa. So the Sammasambuddha told us to let go of somanasa and domanasa, pleasure and displeasure, by developing the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, making the mind firmly concentrated and contemplate to let go of liking and disliking. And that which we have liking for is this rupa form and the nama, mental phenomena, the upadana, clinging of the five khandas, the aggregates, is the cause and condition for us to have happiness and suffering arise in the world. But it doesn't give our mind peace. Because of the power of ignorance, craving and clinging, so we need to train to make the mind peaceful, to come to contemplate the body, some people are skilled at contemplating into the not-beautiful, of being a super, loathsome. Some Dhamma practitioners contemplate it as the four elements, the elements of earth, water, fire, wind, or of the form being a heap of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not-self, whether of the material things that we use or of nature or of this body. We take this mind that is peaceful to contemplate the body. In my own practice in the fourth rains retreat, 
I had peacefulness. The mind had rapture and happiness for about a month. The heart was very full. I felt I could contemplate the mind to completely let go of ignorance, craving and clinging for the attainment of higher noble virtues, higher till attaining to arahantship. But Venerable Ajahn Chah said, Right now, are you peaceful? And I answered, I am peaceful. He said, Contemplate into this body, to see it in the present moment. Contemplate into the body. Take this bodily heap as the foundation. Don't get lost. This point here is very important. This is learning from the teachings of the Krubhajan, the great teacher. In the beginning, we are like a little child who believes their parents. But later, when we grow up, then we have our own thoughts and views. We might lose some respect and reverence for the elders. We don't deeply know into the aspect of respect and reverence. We believe in ourselves. So we get deluded in our thoughts and views. There is a lot of this. And it is scary as well. Dhamma practitioners are the same. If they become stronger in the practice, it's like their beak and legs are strong. They have rapture and peacefulness in the heart. They believe themselves that they must do it like this. To contemplate the mind, they will directly gain attainments. But the Kruba Ajahn will teach that for us to understand deeply, we need to contemplate the body. Because they have passed it before, they have experience in Dhamma practice. We can't believe ourselves. We should listen and take it in first. Whatever thoughts and views we have, we simply listen to it first. This is comparing like earning a livelihood in the world. When the children get older, they're still fragile and weak in experience, so they don't understand about earning a livelihood. They believe in themselves, and there is a big risk of losing. The important Dhamma practitioners that have trained with the Krubhajan, they will advise us on the correct path because they have attained to arahantship already. By following the Dhamma teachings of the Sama Sambuddha that they have practiced and trained in. So Dhamma practice requires the use of a lot of wisdom. Even if we have peacefulness of the heart arise, we especially need a lot of wisdom. Don't get lost and deluded and take this rapture as the path and fruits of Nibbana. One will lose the path. To teach someone who doesn't know anything is easy. But some people who are on the path already and stray off that path, they are hard to teach. They're sure of themselves. They understand that they are like that. But in reality, Dhamma practice is for letting go, not to become, not to be this or be that, which are conventions like we have something heavy, which are the five aggregates. They are heavy things. If we can put down the five aggregates, then it's light. So we need to come train. When the mind is peaceful, then we contemplate into this bodily heap. 
and see it clearly. When we have any feelings arise, then we teach the mind that it is not permanent, it is not a sure thing, constantly, because everything is arising and ceasing in every fraction of a second. Whether it is this rupa, body, it arises and ceases, arises and ceases, arises and ceases. But the mind sees this that arises and ceases as being a self, a me and a mine. Until we grow older, advance in age, have passed through many experiences, arising and ceasing like this. And ultimately, the body really breaks apart for us to see. That is when we can see it clearly. But if we see it clearly in the present moment, we see that everything is arising and ceasing. Here we see impermanence, that all things are unable to endure, that it is not self, both of form and mental phenomena. All of us Buddhists here have merit and spiritual development by being born in this world, in this life, and having met with the Dhamma teachings of the Buddha, which is the true path to freedom from suffering. And it's not easy at all for people to meet with the Buddha Sasana like this, and also for one to be complete with faith and confidence, ready with effort and determination, and of having a long life till today. So may you be determined to train and develop your minds until you have a true friend, which is just the mind that has Dhamma. May you grow in blessings.